Hello and welcome to The Debrief. I'm David Wright and here we're going to be wrapping up some of the stories that we're following here, among them the wildfires out in the West, the Florida recount, a key Senate and governor's race hanging in the balance, and in Washington, the White House facing a whiteout as a winter storm moves into the East Coast. Those are some of the stories that we'll be following on the show today. But first, the news headlines. Attorney Michael Avenatti is out on a $50,000 bond defending himself after he was arrested, charged with felony domestic violence. I have never struck a woman. I never will strike a woman. The alleged victim unidentified. Los Angeles police have released few details, only saying the alleged incident happened Tuesday. Saudi Arabian officials have just announced that 11 suspects in the killing of reporter Jamal Khashoggi have been indicted. Five are facing the death penalty. Khashoggi was killed after disappearing into the Saudi consulate in Istanbul. Also due in court today, mail bomb suspect Caesar Sayot. He's due to be arraigned in Manhattan federal court on charges that could put him behind bars for life. What started as a routine traffic stop in Arkansas quickly turned into anything but that. A shootout took place. Watch here, dash cam video showing the driver jumping out of his car and unloading several rounds at the deputy. He then got back into his vehicle and took off. The driver eventually surrendered and he's now being detained by immigration officials because he may be in the U.S. illegally. And there are worries about Turkey with Thanksgiving just a week away. The CDC is still trying to find the source of a salmonella outbreak that's been growing for the last year. It may not be too long before a self-driving car from Walmart drops off your groceries. The country's biggest retailer is teaming up with Ford to test a self-driving delivery service. All right, let's get straight to our debriefs on the big stories of the day, beginning with those California wildfires. California officials now believe that they've identified most of the 59 people who are believed to have died in those wildfires. Uh, today, they identified eight more bodies in the northern fire and the campfire, uh, but 130 people in that fire uh, remain unaccounted for, and that's where we begin with ABC's Eva Pilgrim. David, this fire just completely destroyed this community. There's still 100 plus people missing. 56 people have been confirmed dead and 10,000 plus structures just gutted from these flames. This is one of them you can see here and we'll just give you a bit of a tour. This used to be a, a bed and breakfast and you can tell when you look at this building that it was actually a very beautiful bed and breakfast. The facade, the front facade of the building here, you can see it, um, the staircase still uh, there, but all of the rest of it sort of crumbling around. As we get further along, you can see inside what used to be this home, and there's just nothing left behind. It's all crumbled and rubbled and debris uh, as it burned up in the flames. There's actually two other homes on this property that uh, the family who owns this lives in, live in and, and they told us, like so many people have, their just harrowing story of escape out of here, running down this driveway. The sky was completely dark because the smoke was so heavy from the flames, and then waiting for six 
plus hours to hear from uh, their other child, their daughter who had their grandchildren with them, worrying what happened to those to those to that, those family members. And that is a story that we've heard so many times from so many family members. We met a lady yesterday who said when she finally got down the mountain, uh, 36 hours of trying, she discovered she was actually one of the people on the missing persons list. And she, she smiled and was like, I was able to check myself off. And I think so many people are hopeful that you know, they just lost contact with each other, and so they haven't been able to get in touch. Cell phone service hasn't worked really well in some areas. It does in others, but the, the communication isn't what we've seen. Last night we saw at a restaurant in town, they opened up the place and were giving free meals to people who were from Paradise. And you saw so many reunions, people just hugging each other and loving on each other and excited to see that their neighbors and their friends were okay. Um, they have not been allowed back into this community. There's no timeline on when they will be able to come back, but so many people telling us they want to see it for themselves. They know there might not be much left, but they want to see it and they want to start the rebuilding process. David. The loss of life there at that campfire is uh, just devastating. Down south in Southern California, it's more of a property issue. We hope to have a report from uh, ABC's Maggie Rowley shortly. Uh, but uh, in the moment, we're going to go first to the winter storms uh, that are bearing down on Washington, D.C. Have a look there. That's the nation's capital. Uh, you can get a pretty good glimpse as, uh, at that. But the White House, it looks almost like whiteout conditions. So let's go to uh, Maggie. Emily Rao, uh, who is standing by there. What's the latest? What are you hearing? Hi, David. We are in northwest D.C., not all that far from the White House. One word to describe the weather here in the nation's capital today. It is messy. That wintry mix you see is still coming down. Take a look behind me here. Traffic has been pretty sloppy here in D.C. this morning. The roads, as you can see, are clear, but it's still causing some headaches and it's very slippery. The commute to work this morning, not a very good one. Now, in terms of accumulation, I want to walk you over and show you we're not dealing with all that much. Take a look. Really, it's less than an inch, but definitely a lot for D.C., enough to make it a headache. And the other thing about today, you will not only need your snow gear, your gloves, your boots for this weather here in D.C., you will also need the umbrella. This will turn into rain and potentially cause flooding, David. So a lot to be aware of today if you are in and around Washington, D.C. Yikes. I know that up here in the Northeast, we're somewhat better prepared for a major snowstorm. We have the equipment to deal with it. It's a rarer event down there, so it's harder for them to, to combat it when it comes. Uh, but is this expected to, to have a big impact on the government? Are they expected to, uh, is it expected to snow so much that it's going to shut down? Well, they had some options where people could come in later or they could they could shift their schedules, that type of thing. But if we have pictures of the White House, I want to show you that because this could potentially Again, doesn't look like all that much. We're not talking about a whiteout here, but it could break a record at the White House. If they get more than a half an inch there, it will be the most snow that they've seen here in D.C. since 1989. So you're talking about a 29-year record with this. It's just so early in the season, that first taste of winter for D.C. So for now, I think people are kind of enjoying it, aside from that messy commute into work this morning if they did have to leave the house. But pretty interesting when you think about the context here. We could be breaking some records today. David? 
Very interesting. Well, it looks like you're well prepared for it. Good luck with it, and good luck to all of us who are going to be facing that blizzard as it bears down across the Northeast today. Uh, Emily Rao, thank you so much. Now, we had some technical difficulties before with Maggie Ruley's live shot from the uh, Woolsey Fire in Southern California, where there's been devastating property damage near Malibu. Uh, I, I gather we've got you going there. Hey, I can see you now. Uh, how's, what are you seeing from where you are? Well, hi, David. You mentioned some of that technical difficulty. Just finding cell service in many of these areas is so difficult. That fire came in so hot and so fast that in many areas, the cell towers, all of the cell towers completely were wiped out. You mentioned Malibu. Uh, people are actually starting to be able to go back home to Malibu today. Many evacuees are heading back home. Uh, but even there, there's barely any cell service, which makes it difficult for people to communicate, difficult for news crews like us to go live. Um, we're in Calabasas right now, which is another very hard-hit area. And, and if you take a look, this scene is one that we're just is becoming all too common throughout Southern California. You have burned out cars, burned out homes, plot after plot that is entirely gone. But David, I want to show you this, and I'm, I'm sure you've seen it already, but it still is so jarring to me. Uh, here you are, you see horrible damage, burned out cars, uh, homes that are gone, but just across the street you have a home that's completely fine, untouched, unscathed. Um, and this is the type of uh, thing that people are dealing with here, this sort of mind-boggling sense of, of random threat that comes with the fire. And we're told there's a couple reasons for that. One is simply because um, when these winds come in with the fires are so strong, they throw sparks places. So if you have a spark that lands uh, on or near your home, something like this could happen. Um, we also know that it deals uh, with vegetation and things of that nature. So with landscaping, if a spark lands on a large brush near your home, that can also contribute to this kind of damage. David, this scene is obviously so terrible and heartbreaking to witness, but I do want to mention the big breaking news out of Southern California, for us at least, is that there is some new hope. We have new hope today. Uh, the high winds that we've been seeing, 70 mile per hour gusts, they're way down today. The winds have calmed, and we're even expecting uh, the onshore winds, that slight sea breeze, to come tomorrow, which would mean moisture in the air. Today it's still dry, but we are expecting some moisture. Although we mentioned that dry air, I don't want you to think we're out of the woods yet. Firefighters are cautioning people to stay on high alert, to stay on guard, uh, just over Overnight, a new brush fire broke out in Ventura County, which is where the Woolsey fire also was. Uh, they've been battling that. It seems like they had the upper hand, but it's just an example of how even when you think you're sort of climbing out of the woods, you have that containment, you have uh, the weather on your side, just a slight spark and start a new fire, which could lead to more scenes like this one, David. Absolutely devastating. And even after this fire dies down, I gather that the next threat, having covered some of these fires myself in the past, is that uh, the winter rains are likely to bring mudslides. And so even those homes that are spared are still under threat. It's such a good point. We saw this happen last year, and authorities are trying to uh, stay on top of it more this year, warning people that when you come home and find places that look like this, also the hills behind you look like this barren, wiped clean. So that means when those heavy winter rains hit, there's nothing to catch them, and that could cause, unfortunately, catastrophic mudslides. So it, it's really a, a sad, scary scene here right now because not only are people coming home to no homes, but they know that in just a few months or weeks, they could be hit with a different and also catastrophic natural disaster. ABC's Maggie Ruley, thank you so much for keeping track on it, uh, track of it for us, uh, and thanks for your report today. Uh, we're going to turn now back. I'm sorry for the ping pong match, but we've gone from fires to weather, uh, back to fires, and now we'll go back to weather. Uh, and ABC's Rob Marciano has the details on that winter storm bearing down on the East Coast.
Hello, David. What a mess out there for the eastern third of the country. This early winter snowstorm in the middle of November, hard to believe in it. We had snow as far south as the Gulf Coast of Texas and then sleet falling yesterday, unfortunately uh, causing a major bus accident across northern Mississippi. Nearly 50 people on this bus, most of them injured in some capacity, and there were two fatalities. This is just southeast of Memphis, which also saw sleet and snow. St. Louis, just up the river, seeing a significant amount of snow overnight, about four inches of it, skid outs and accidents there, causing some problems. And there's also an ice component to this. Ice storm in Indianapolis, roll down the window, well, it's covered in ice, so you gotta kinda punch through that. A quarter of an inch in some spots, causing some power outages. Schools delayed, if not closed, across that area. Winter storm warnings extending up into northern Ver New York and Vermont and flood watches across the mid-Atlantic. Matter of fact, D.C. in a flood in a winter weather advisory with accumulating snow this morning, switching to a flood watch this afternoon. Same deal for New York. We'll start with snow and then change over to rain. Same deal for Boston, but interior areas, and this will all clear out eventually, but not till tomorrow. Interior areas with this quick thumping of snow could see over six inches. So that is a lot of white on the map for the middle of November. A little stat for you, David, you may remember this. The last time New York got an inch of snow, that's possible today, this early or this time in November, was back in 2012. That was shortly after Superstorm Sandy came through, adding insult to injury there after all that destruction in this area. It then snowed not, not too soon after that. So winter's coming, it's here early after a long spring, like it or not, my friend. David, back to you. I know my daughters are excited about it. They're already talking this morning about breaking out the sleigh, wondering if they're going to get a snow day tomorrow. So they've got their fingers crossed. Rob, thank you. Uh, now back to uh, Washington, D.C. and the White House, uh, which is in whiteout conditions almost. Karen Travers, have you got your, uh, your warm clothes on, your warm winter boots? I do. We've got heaters all around us here at the White House, David. And this was not supposed to happen in Washington. You heard Emily say, you know, it was really an expectation of sleet. But instead, we do have a little bit of snow. And she was mentioning that record. We had to get more than a half inch of snow here at the White House. We think we got it. But now it's sleeting, so everything is getting pushed down. It but, looks uh, like a president. It looks yeah. like a Christmas postcard behind you, but <laughs> I gather there's not much Christmas spirit coming out of the White House right now. No. President Trump taking aim again today at the Mueller probe. Yeah, the president uh, not looking out his window and being delighted by the snow. Instead, he went on quite a bit of a tear this morning on Twitter, uh, aimed at Robert Mueller, his team of investigators, and, of course, the Russia probe, which the president once again calls a witch hunt. The president wrote today that the inner workings of the Mueller investigation are a total mess. But, David, he did not provide any evidence to say why he believes that is the case. He certainly seemed to be describing a scene of chaos among these investigators, but, again, no evidence for that. The president uh, continues to call the Mueller team angry people. He called Mueller himself highly conflicted, which is something we've heard from him before, David. He also said inaccurately that Mueller worked for eight years for the Obama administration. For President Obama, he did not. He worked for five. But, you know, he did work for eight years of the Bush administration. That's not mentioned by the president. David, the big question, though, is why is the president talking about this this morning? There wasn't a big story in the papers today. 
There wasn't a big thing happening on cable that the president likes to watch so much. And, you know, he kind of goes in these ebbs and flows of and when he decides to focus on Mueller. But we do know that earlier this week, David, he did sit down with his lawyers to do the written answers to the questions that Mueller's team has provided that they want the president to weigh in on. And the Mueller team has been very quiet these past mm -hmm. couple of months in anticipation of the midterms, not wanting to tip the scales in those elections or be seen to be tipping the scales in those elections. Is there some expectation now that we could be about to hear uh, from the special counsel with new indictments? There was certainly an expectation that the next indictments would not happen until after the midterms. Of course, that's the period we're in right now. So everybody in Washington has really been waiting, holding their breath to see when this news or some news could drop. Uh, no indication publicly from the special counsel's team because, as you say, they're very quiet. They don't put out any press releases teeing up their moves. It all just happens, and then everybody here in Washington reacts. But if you want to read the tea leaves a little bit, the fact that the president is really keying in on Mueller this morning makes you wonder if he might have some sense of something that's coming or he's just getting more worried. So as a lot of uh, folks in Washington might be worried about that knock on the door and the possible indictment uh, being handed to them, uh, we've got news that Saudi Arabia has mm -hmm. issued some indictments today uh, in connection with the killing of journalist Jamal Khashoggi. What can you tell us? Well, we also now have a reaction from the Trump administration announcing sanctions on 17 Saudi officials. That includes that 15-member hit squad. It is the Saudi consul general in uh, Istanbul and a very senior advisor to Crown Prince Mohammed bin Salman. This certainly looks like a really tough action by the Trump administration, a punishment to the Saudis, but it also notably fits the narrative of the Saudis. David, these are the same individuals that the Saudis have pointed the finger at, so the White House essentially is piling on more uh, and reinforcing that finger pointing. It is notable that earlier this week, the National Security Advisor John Bolton uh, denied that the Crown Prince was implicated by any new evidence that has come out in the killing of Jamal Khashoggi. Now, this might not be it. These are sanctions today. There still could be more coming. The White House and the administration say they're continuing to look into this. And if the White House is unwilling to sanction uh, the crown prince himself, could a Democratic Congress force his hand? Yeah, they certainly could. And, you know, there are rumblings of that as one of the things that the new Democratic Congress could do. There were talk about that even happening before the Democrats took back Congress. We've seen this Republican Congress go further than the Trump administration on sanctions uh, when it comes to Russia, almost dragging the president along on that issue. We'll see if the Democratic Congress takes a lead and is more forceful on this one, too. All right, ABC's Karen Travers, thanks so much. Uh, let's turn now to the Florida recount, which is a key state, as always, come election time. And uh, as has been the case in the past, it's a state where the vote is now under dispute. In the Senate race and in the governor's race, Republicans have claimed victory, but Democrats have said not so fast. And now the complicated process of a Florida recount begins. You can see the pictures there. Uh, I can remember the pictures of hanging chat. It looks a bit more uh, efficient this time around. Victor Akendo is keeping an eye on it for us. Victor, is this process going smoothly so far? Perhaps a little more efficient, David, but it ain't over yet. So the machine recount, the deadline for that to be completed this afternoon, 3 p.m. Of Florida's 67 counties right now, it only looks like 
one will not be meeting that deadline and we're talking about Palm Beach County. The supervisor of elections there, Dr. Uh, Susan Booker, just said that it is unlikely they will be meeting their deadline. They've had a number of issues there in Palm Beach County. Uh, apparently their machines are a little outdated. They were overheating as recently as yesterday. There are also multiple reports out that the staff there, the team actually took the night off last night, possibly this morning too. So it does not look like Palm Beach County will be meeting that 3 p.m. deadline. But here's some good news. The other county that's had several issues, Broward County, early this morning, they were actually able to complete their machine recount. Now, if the candidates are separated by just a quarter of a percent after this machine recount, then we turn to a manual recount. And of the big races at stake here, the one that we expect to take that next step is the Senate race between Florida Governor Rick Scott and Senator Bill Nelson. Right now, these guys are separated by just 0.14%, uh, roughly 12,000 votes. This race has been incredibly contentious, uh, a flurry of lawsuits involved in this one. Most recently, Senator Nelson uh, filed a suit to have all the deadlines thrown out and to make sure that all the votes were counted in time, giving these counties as much time as possible. Uh, he also scored a victory this morning. A federal judge gave voters until Saturday to correct any signature mismatch issues uh, if they've had their votes thrown out due to Florida's signature mismatch law, but we don't have the exact number of votes in that one. We should note, by the way, that they are actually still counting votes. Those overseas and military ballots, they're still coming in. The deadline for those to come in is tomorrow. David, Florida, keeping it interesting. It's a baffling process. Meanwhile, uh, outgoing Governor Rick Scott is claiming victory in the Senate race. He says he's already going to go ahead and attend the freshman orientation for new senators. And uh, Ron DeSantis has claimed victory in the governor's race. How likely is it that the outcome of either race could change. Well, in the governor's race, it does look like that one likely won't be heading to that uh, hand recount, that machine, um, I should say the manual recount, where they take a closer look at those over and under votes. So what those votes are specifically is where people perhaps voted for too many candidates or none at all. So the governor's race likely won't be headed there. But the Senate race is so tight, it, it really is too tough to tell. There could be you know, tens of thousands of those over or under votes that need to be closely looked at here. So we could be looking at a change there. But yeah, both of those candidates on the Republican side uh, already declaring victory and, and moving ahead, apparently. All right, Victor, an election very much in limbo. Thanks for giving us the update. Uh, we will turn now to another election uh, that's in limbo. This one, the actual vote took place a number of years ago, but the fallout is still being felt uh, over in the United Kingdom, where uh, British voters voted narrowly to leave the European Union, but the fine print over the divorce agreement has yet to be finalized, and now it is threatening to consume the administration of Prime Minister Theresa May. Julia McFarlane uh, joins us uh, to explain a very complicated situation for us. Uh, Julia, uh, Theresa May's government had some big resignations today. Uh, how likely is it that this could cost her her job? Well, I mean, David, this is the question that's on everyone's minds right now. This is, uh, you know, much to everyone's surprise, I think not. Uh, this is one of the stickiest divorces uh, in history that, that we think. So, I mean, this story is moving on at such a rapid pace. Uh, even since we set up our shot here, um, it's moved on slightly. So let's just recap. Theresa May came to a huge milestone uh, on Tuesday night when she agreed with the EU on a draft uh, divorce plan. Now, she took that plan uh, back to her cabinet yesterday, and so she was briefing uh, her minister 
posters, on all the fine print, uh, and then the government published that, uh, that draft agreement, all sort of 584 pages of it, went up online last night. Uh, and this morning, uh, she faced a barrage of criticism uh, from, from MPs from her own party, as well as all sides of the House, uh, as, uh, as ministers and MPs uh, started to, to read through and see exactly what that agreement entailed. Now, there are some uh, sticking points to this agreement that has uh, led to the resignation of her Brexit secretary, uh, Dominic Raab. Now, he uh, was appointed to the job after the previous Brexit secretary resigned because he could not support uh, how Theresa May was handling Brexit. And now, uh, Theresa May, uh, her premiership is now on knife edge because uh, several, uh, well, we actually, we don't know how many, uh, but quite a few uh, members of parliament have announced that they are writing letters uh, to Graham Brady, who chairs a very influential committee in the Conservative Party, and they are, and then some, some of them are working towards uh, uh, challenging Theresa May for uh, her leadership. She is going to be speaking in, uh, well, just, uh, just over an hour's time from now at number 10, so we'll wait and see uh, how she is responding. Uh, Sky News here is reporting reporting that uh, the, the post of Brexit secretary has been offered uh, to a leading Brexiteer, Michael Gove, and apparently he has said that his price for taking on that job will be to renegotiate uh, the draft agreement with Brussels. So those of us, of course, who spent, up, spent all night last night reading all 500 pages of this document, well, we'll have to probably read another one uh, if Theresa May has to go back and negotiate so another can... agreement with, with Brexit. So it's all going great, uh, basically. <laughs> uh, what can I say? <laughs> so we can be back to square one uh, after this whole thing uh, comes to fruition today after she names her new Brexit uh, negotiator. Exactly. But meanwhile, uh, I, I believe we have a piece of tape from her. She has been defending this plan, uh, as you say, in the House of Commons uh, and insisting that Britain will have a uh, an orderly exit from the European Union. If we have that piece of tape, let's hear what she has to say. We, we will not rerun the referendum. We will not renege on the decision of the British people. We will leave the customs union, we will leave the common fisheries policy, we will leave the common agricultural policy, and we will take back control of our money, laws and borders. We will deliver Brexit, and the United Kingdom is leaving the European Union on the 29th of March 2019. Facing some vocal skepticism there in the House of Commons, Theresa May. Uh, uh, Julia, one of the sticking points from the beginning has been this question of the border in Ireland, uh, where Ireland uh, itself remains as part of the European Union. Northern Ireland, which is part of Great Britain, uh, leaves with the UK. Uh, and the question is, what happens to that border? And, and I've been completely baffled as to what solution they've come up with there. Have they reached a solution? Uh, well, I mean, they've been, well, I mean, uh, uh, quite a common assessment is that they fudged it, basically. This is the only uh, land border between the UK and the, e and the EU, the border between Northern Ireland uh, and the Irish Republic. Now, what May uh, is, has suggested and what the EU has agreed to uh, is there is this basically, to, to try and make it as simple as possible, there is a mechanism that means that uh, the UK will stay in alignment uh, with EU policy so that there will be no need for any kind of uh, security checks on the border. That is really important to the Irish and the Northern, Ir Northern Irish. Uh, and within the time period uh, that the EU and the UK have to agree on a permanent uh, resolution, there will be a mechanism that will allow for that status quo, the UK staying with it in, in alignment with, uh, with the EU, uh, will extend automatically. Now, the red line 
uh, for many MPs, including the Brexit, well, the former Brexit secretary who uh, resigned this morning, uh, is that the EU has a veto on the UK withdrawing from that. So basically, it means that the UK uh, is sort of at the hands of, of Brussels policy and has no veto on whether to withdraw it. People are saying that, say, seeing this as an infringement of of sovereignty. That was, of course, you know, one of the many reasons that people voted to leave the the EU in the first place. Uh, so that is that is ending up uh, being a real sticking point, and it's really, really difficult because Theresa May is faced with possibly, uh, you know, damaging the union uh, as well as, uh, you know, navigating this the, these really, really difficult uh, this, this difficult divorce with the EU. Especially difficult because her government, uh, their majority, depends on those Northern Irish. Uh, uh, folks who uh, are part of her coalition uh, who have strong opinions about that border. Julia McFarland, thank you so much for talking about us. The most complicated and potentially expensive divorce in history and uh, not uh, an easy we'll solution back. in sight. We'll yes, we'll be back for more. Uh, thanks so much, Julia. Uh, and that's it from us here at The Debrief. Uh, we'll have more uh, on all of these stories on uh, ABC News throughout the day. Uh, keep watching ABC News Live for now. I'm David Wright in New York. Thanks for joining us.